for tuning in to Doth Protest, a podcast on Reformation history and theology. And um, my apologies, I don't have my regular mic. I got carried away at the office and didn't realize the time. I'm like the absent-minded professor today. James is at home, ready, uh, all set to do this episode. And he texted me a link with a question mark because, you know, we use a Zoom link to record and get together to do these talks so uh my apologies james um not a problem we're here and this is the long-awaited third um part of our uh review of the 95 thesis that come from the episcopal fellowship for renewal group um so if you haven't um you don't have to if you haven't listened to the first two i of course encourage you to do so you don't have to in order to jump into this one um but you'll get some context through that um before i go further how are you doing today james uh i'm doing all right um i just got back from a trip to mexico with my wife rachel um and that was good but as soon as i got back i had a double ear infection and a sinus infection so that's why i sound like i'm breathing through a snorkel i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) you're in cancun right yep that's right That's right. That sounds fun, man. Um, yeah. yeah, it was good. Glad you, you had a good time then. So yeah, yeah, it was great. We uh, we we really enjoyed um, just having a little bit of time away uh, from the kids. Of course, we love our kids, but uh, <laughs> but sometimes uh, having a little time away absence makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. So absolutely. Well, you know, and I didn't realize. Uh, so this was uh, just just you and Rachel get away, no kids. So well. Yes, uh, I'm fairly certain neither one of the kids would have survived in Mexico because they didn't have any meat substitutes, you know, being vegan. Mm. Uh, Eleanor, uh, interestingly enough, being vegan, our older child, uh, being vegan, she's not a huge fan of vegetables, so. Uh, Wait, are you, is your whole family vegan? We are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Indoctrinating children into veganism is evil. What they say, you know? <laughs> Indoctrinating is something, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, that that is true. Uh, basically, you know, what is one person's indoctrination is another person's uh, socialization, I guess. <laughs> um, we won't dive down that rabbit hole. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad you didn't get sick while you were there. Sorry, yes. Sorry a bunch of people now. did. A bunch of people got uh, what's colloquially known as Montezuma's revenge. So mm. we were uh, we were fine. But yeah, a lot of people ended up not so fine. So yeah. Well, um, I guess we can dive into our theses. I wanted to, I didn't recognize this part of the website for Episcopal Renewal Fellowship um, before we, when we did the the first two episodes where we covered like the first chunk of their theses, their proposals, and the second episode where we just, we talk about the second chunk. We get, I, we gave some background, but 
to the group, but um, I think this is much more clearer, this uh, mission page underneath their about tab on their website, which I'll go ahead and read off of it. But I didn't realize, um, uh, I don't think it was, I, I don't, I really don't think this was on the website the last time I was here, but maybe, maybe I just overlooked it, which is very possible because I overlook a lot of things. But so it starts with a quotation, I am 24, so Gen Z and was recently confirmed into the church. The only people who I believe will be left in the Episcopal Church in the coming decades will be a few of us willing to take charge. There won't be many, but they will likely be traditional, since the Episcopal Church is unable to keep young people despite being so progressive. If we do the, uh, am I pronouncing this right, Reconquista? Reconquista. Reconquista, if we do the Reconquista right, we can turn it back and grow it into the proper direction again, unquote. So before we move farther, whoever said that, I don't, I think it's just a quote taken from, from the, from a person involved with this, uh, but it's uh, basically um, this Reconquista movement is something originally tied to this online personality who has an Instagram profile name of Redeemed Zoomer. Zoomer being like a Gen Zer, um, and this person belongs, I believe, to the PCUSA Presbyterian Church, yeah. and wants to wants to uh, reform and renew the Presbyterian Church along away from um, the progressivism and liberalism, and you know, well, I think they kind of throw that term out a lot, and I'd like you know they, they don't always specify what exactly they mean by that, but would like to to return the the mainline churches um to along the lines of biblical orthodoxy or as they would see it and um this person's in the presbyterian church but there's this um the group that redeemed zoomer person is in the presbyterian church um but there's a um they have a counterparts and all the they have like-minded people that are in all a lot of the mainline churches like the episcopal church and and so they're all part of this. Supposedly they're part of this. They're all, you know, uh, networked and and doing this. But I don't know. We during our pre-show conversation, James, it, it seemed like from, from what you were saying, you have the sense that it's kind of fizzled out already. And we did the. But it was like three months ago, and we did the first two episodes of these, and a lot can happen, I guess, in the three months. But uh, I, I don't know. Elaborate on that. Didn't you all? Didn't your church get something posted to your door or something like that, or you? No, I, I never, I never saw anything posted to our door, but, um, but I do know that there were others who had uh, other churches that had um, things posted to their door. Mm. Um, I think the problem uh, th that has led to this group, either if it's not, um, if it's not active right now, or if it's become perhaps a bit more clandestine without the negative connotation. Um, I think what I saw a lot of was um, in between our second and now third um, session on this or conversation on this, um, it's obvious they've done a lot of work to the website. It's changed substantially. They've removed all the names of the people who signed on. And that's because I saw public shaming by a bishop of one of the clergy who signed this. Uh, and he was required to apologize publicly for it um that's just a bit ridiculous and it is but it's but it's indicative of a larger problem in the episcopal church which is that this so-called you know big tent 
is not exactly so big. What this what this group intended to be is is a movement that that could foster um, a return to orthodoxy within the Episcopal Church, but they also um, have learned pretty quickly that there are some things that the Episcopal Church doesn't want, and um, and it will probably fight to the death and die on that hill to not have it. Um, so maybe this is becoming a fellowship in the traditional sense of getting together and fellowshipping with one another um, over shared orthodoxy. Um, but I haven't heard anything from them. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like, uh, um, you know, the, the only names that are up here are the lay people who are, you know, in leadership roles. Um, and that's on the, on the, our mission or the about page. So, and their chaplain still, or should is is that person not uh he's he's not mentioned on here anymore so maybe maybe he is um but maybe this was the way to uh, try and protect him um lay people have far less uh far less concern about um bishop and uh, clergy um lashing out as it were um so so well we'll see you know, I didn't sign it, and it wasn't because of any major disagreements with the theses of, but, um, you know, just for reasons that we discussed already, we didn't sign it. And it wasn't right. just it wasn't just out of fear or anything. I mean, if, if that, that were the case, we wouldn't even be touching the topic. But, um, yeah, so anyways, uh, and I'll go ahead and read. Um, well, I don't know if I need to read the rest of that description. Um, if people want to go to EpiscopalRenewal.org. EpiscopalRenewal.org. Um, you can click on about and it has their mission statement. Um, and then if you click over to 95 theses, uh, it's not the 95 theses Luther posted on the Dorn Wittenberg. It is the 95 theses to the Episcopal Church. And this is where we this is what we've been concentrating on, going through all these these statements, um, these statements from these from the people in this group. Um right who would like to, um, you know, who would like to see the church, I guess, ad adopt these the theses and whatnot. But um, so we'll go ahead and start, <clears throat> resume where we left off. And I think 68 is a good number. We might have skipped ahead a few, but let's just go with that. Um, 68 says that Christian ministers are to model biblical morals for their congregation and dioceses and to be held to a high standard of holiness. Um, yep. how, what, what do you think about that one? Um, you know, one of the concerns that we've had in the previous two talks about these theses is the concern that there's not an overcorrection to moralism. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's there are different ways to perceive holiness um, theologically, I think it's you're on shaky ground to perceive of holiness as a matter of moral behavior. Yeah. Holiness in Scripture primarily is a declaration. God declares his people holy, set apart. Um, and, you know, you can still be holy even though you're a miserable sinner. Um, so so I think that's, you know, that's not quibbling. That's, that's a matter of, of importance. But what I would say is, there are some behaviors that absolutely must be, uh, you know, out of bounds for clergy. Um, you know, 
I don't think it's moralist to say that such public and divisive sins as, um, you know, things like adultery, um, that, you know, that's something that, that not only breaks trust in a marriage, but also breaks trust with the congregation. Doesn't mean that you are somehow condemned to, uh, you know, fiery death. God saves uh, from sin, and and adultery is a sin from which God has saved His people. Um, there is King no da eternal King David for one. Yeah, King David is a great example. Yeah, but but it's going to be hard for that person to be in a leadership position in a congregation. Um, you know, and and uh, and be able to serve there. Anyway, another great example or horrifying example is pedophilia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, God still loves that person as much as we might not want to, um, but that person should not be in a position of authority where they can pray. The pre uh, uh, you know, where they can uh, prey on children. Um, so, like, there are certain things that are definitely out of bounds, and I think should disqualify a Christian minister from being a Christian minister in an ordained capacity. But I don't think that we can condemn that person um, by, uh, by determining that they are no longer holy, uh, you know, in the, according to the standard of scripture, which is that they are declared set apart by God, by, by grace through faith alone, in effect. Right. The, the language of high standard of holiness. And I, I think there's language, you know, to be fair, there is language similar to that in, um, like our ordination vows, but once you sure. use the language of like high standard of holiness, yeah, it's, um, um, you know, it's, you, you can easily mistake one concept of holiness for another. Right. So yeah, like what you're saying, just to, you know, be careful. And, and it, you know, if it's like, if the high, if that standard of holiness is so high, you know, you can't have the, can you have the occasional cigar, the glass of bourbon? Uh, right. Guilty yeah. over here, I guess, you know, uh, take my collar away. But I don't think that's, of course, what this group means. I'm sure this group um, partakes in things like that. But um, or but, but, but that's, the, that's the point of this, right? If you're going to, you know, when Luther wrote his 95 theses, uh, of course, he disavowed some of it later in life. But his theses were razor sharp. Mm -hmm. So if you're planning on writing something like this as a kind of manifesto, as a kind of beginning of a conversation, you've got to be razor sharp and precise with your language. Um, and I think that some of the imprecision is what led you and me both to not sign it, because there are some ambiguities there that could lead us perhaps to a place where <clears throat> we don't think it's quite quite up to snuff for for what we would be willing to publicly attach ourselves to in effect uh, that's very well put um that I, that echoes my reasoning too for for not signing on that the ambiguities the lack of precision in areas and that's not us being quibbling in over minor things it's you know um but um and I was going to say that, you know, you talk about Luther, but honestly, I don't even like Luther's 95 thesis. And that might be, maybe I brought that up on the show. That might be a surprise to, um, I mean, I appreciate them for their historical significance and that they, they in a way, got the ball rolling to um, the Reformation, of course. But um, really, the 95 theses are just statements of a, um, a di uh, dis disillusioned uh, Roman Catholic um 
oh yeah any reasonable roman catholic who had the ins a very inside view of the church and didn't like the very apparent abuses which most of them the catholic church of today would recognize and that's all that, i mean there's nothing reformation there's there's very little reformational about the original 95 theses i i i like to i say half jokingly but i'm actually mostly serious i think the reformation starts with the heidelberg disputations the the heidelberg undeniably yeah the heidelberg theses are the beginning of reformational thought so yeah no I, I couldn't agree more and you know a good example of that is that erasmus actually uh you know was was fond of the theses in that way like he, he thought that that what luther had to say was was good um mm -hmm. because it was calling out some of the excesses but it wasn't questioning the you know what what uh, a sophist might refer to as the essay of the church right he wasn't he wasn't breaking down things that couldn't be fixed he was just attacking the problems um, you know, a great example is that uh, an often quoted uh, thesis is the first thesis, the whole of the Christian life is to be one of repentance, which sounds great to us as Reformational Christians. But when Luther says it in Latin, it's the whole of the Christian life is to do penance, vacari ponitentia. So that those things are not the same. Doing penance and repentance are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that was one of those uh, mess ups that Jerome added into the Vulgate uh, when he translated repent for the kingdom of God is at hand as facere ponitentia, do penance. Um, mm -hmm. So, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, that the Heidelberg disputation is the, is the start of the reformation. And then uh, the deed at Brooms is sort of the catalyst. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, um. Uh, okay, I'm not. I, I muted a second ago. Good, I'm not muted anymore. Um, so I lost. <laughs> we've only done one so far. So let's. I think last time I kind of read a few at a time. So I'll we'll kind of go back to doing that. Do it at hey. that. Um, sixty nine bishops should not wield episcopal authority to discipline churches, priests, bishops, or parishioners who have not, who have not explicitly rejected the doctrines and practices of Anglican Christianity or. Who have otherwise done nothing wrong according to biblical morality. Um, next, bishops should use should use episcopal authority to discipline ministers who misuse the sacraments, perform unchristian ceremonies, teach heretical beliefs, or lead notoriously sinful lives. Seventy one: the use of legal action to seize. The property of dissident parishes is poor conduct by the church ministers and is to be avoided. The 72, this, I'll read this one, then we'll kind of go over this. Uh, the church should not, the church should continue to condemn drunkenness, drug abuse, excessive gambling, and all self-destructive vices whilst providing support to those struggling with them. Um, yeah, so again, the last one, you know, we're still... You know, there's a lot, <laughs> they're, they're really focused on personal, well, and I think the reason why they focus on personal morality here, like they did in the last one, is um, the, the the pendulum, you know, maybe that's because when the church, a lot of the mainline church for so long has maybe shied away from the topic of sin, or they've um, seen sin as really a, a larger system like you know systemic injustices or like systemic racism for instance um mm -hmm. things like that 
um and they the personal morality does take a back seat um oddly and ironically though i think and more so in the past few years as i think um you know kind of the the social justice crowd of the Episcopal church has gotten um have have been louder perhaps um they they will they all they almost have reverted to a personal morality but it's judgment of persons who um don't carry the right view on something um or don't vote a certain way but um i don't know that's so i get why this group is focusing so much on personal morality in these you know uh because perhaps you know the church had neglected um uh, you know approaching that topic uh, whether in whether in sermons whether in their statements that they put out but uh but i don't know like you said earlier uh what we've noticed and what we've noticed in the last two episodes is that it it does have this moralistic tone too um that you know, there's very little about um god's grace and mercy and, and all about you know um the sins and vices that you know are unbecoming of a christian and that we should not you know things that we right. should do well and and that's um that's something that uh the book of homilies this the first and second books of homilies um address there are sermons on morality in both i mean the first book of homilies has one against adultery and sexual sin uh i think there is uh there are a couple more in the second book of homilies that deal with uh similar moral issues and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that it's a matter of how do you couch it um mm -hmm. is it a matter I mean, is it something where you are dealing with this particular sin because you see that people are struggling with it in your congregation and you are uh, condemning it for what it is but then vivifying the people with the gospel or is it a matter of only giving them the law and telling them that they are dead in their sins because of this particular immorality that they're participating in. Um, you know, again, mm -hmm. all of this, it, it, it doesn't lend itself to Twitter style theology. It doesn't lend itself to soundbite theology. Right. Um, you have to be able to parse this out. So maybe, maybe what, Honestly, maybe what this group needs to do is write an apology for their 95 theses. Of course, by apology, I mean defense, kind yes. of like the Augsburg Confession and the Melanchthon's apology for the Augsburg Confession. Right. Because, you know, this is a shot across the bow, but there's so much in here that really needs refining that it would do it would do them. Yeah. Some good to try and unpacking, and... too. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, there was one term. The, well, you know, teaching heretical beliefs, you know, bishops should use Episcopal authority to discipline ministers who teach heresy. It's like, well, you know, I know I, you know, there are very obvious examples of heresy. And, you know, I have been very taken aback by what, you know, people in high positions in our church or, or say about th things that they have said about, like, Jesus and or and you know their understanding they're they're like crystal understand christological understanding that is or misunderstanding i should say rather than like things i've heard that just fly in the face of like the basic fundamentals we get from the creeds like obviously there are 
very many, you don't have to go far to see many very obvious examples, but there's also like, do we, you got to refine that. Cause if we want to go down the road where we're going to start heresy hunting, you know, uh, are we going to start, you know, um, go, going after people who don't believe in a historic Adam or Eve? I right. mean, I know some Christians who probably some will listen to that show who would think that's, <laughs> sorry, it was about to, we're about to lose some listeners, but you know, um, it's like, I, heresy is, you really have to define what heresy is there. And, right. You know, I, it has to be something, it has to be something discerned. Like, yes, this does go against the spirit of what we see in scripture and the formularies. And, right. but if it's something where it's like, you know, I could see where, um, this this might seem controversial but let's but maybe it's worth talking about mm -hmm. um then it's worth talking about it doesn't need to be um uh fully dismissed so and i've just seen too much of this i'm just getting sick of this kind of knee-jerk reaction this whole trad movement online i'm just getting tired i like it's um you know whether it's in you know whether it's catholic or calvinist this whole like trad thing. right as much as right. as much as I have um long been just repelled by like uh progressive Christianity and and it's I the all the trad stuff is just really getting on my nerves lately because it's just these you know it's more it's like a cultural movement it's like it's not right. even, a lot of them don't don't even have this understanding of the they're they're more pagan in their like outlook on life right than Wait, they are you know, yeah, I think I think the problem for me, I mean, you and I have talked about this recently because I was booted from a group because I questioned something that is adiaphora according to scripture. Mm -hmm. They call, you know, the guy called me a heretic. Um and because and I because um you this group was against women's ordination, which they're free to be. Right. I, mean, I have friends that are, but for you that you you would say that's adiaphora that's a secondary issue whether you're right. against it does not yeah I, I yeah people there are people who will make things um you know think will make things of essence to being a christian that i really think are not i'm sorry i cut you off and, and like the thing that baffles me is that like central aspects of anglicanism like sola fide are being undermined on a daily basis within the Anglican church around the world that, you know, we're justified by grace through faith alone. Like that's not a big deal for some people, but the moral issues are a big deal. Like why can't both be important, you know? Um, but why, why isn't sola fide like the heart of what we are fighting for? Right. <laughs> like, why would you take up for someone? Of course, you know, the, the big instance recently has been in the ACNA. There's been an explosion about uh, a, an, a, a guy named uh, Calvin Robinson from the UK, who's a former Anglican, now old Catholic, Norwegian Catholic, or whatever they want to call that tiny little breakoff group. Um that he came to the mere Anglicanism conference and he spoke uh, against women's ordination, uh, which was just him trying to inflame. Mm -hmm. And all of these Reformation Anglicans who disagree with women's ordination are now fighting for this guy. 
even though the central things that he was saying were utterly fallacious, like Luther was the predecessor to Karl Marx or, you know, other things like that. All right. All that. Yeah. Luther, Luther gave us the enlightenment and secularism and fascism, right. communism, right. everything bad about modernity is all Luther's fault. Yeah. Right. It's, I don't think Calvin Robinson said all, said all that, but I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, um, that is a, that is a popular uh, trad take, uh, a Catholic yeah. take. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but anyways, we're, we digress. So let's, let's <laughs> we get really digress. <laughs> we had to get, is this our form? We we probably need to go talk with that talk to our therapist about that. Not right. A, not right. Uh, on the podcast, but you know, right. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, if there's other people having those feelings, they they know they're not crazy. Um, right. But yeah, so um, let's move on with this. The the church must not ignore the voices of those seventy three. The church must not ignore the voices of those who call the church to repentance, as the reformers did during the Protestant Reformation. 74, the church should allow itself to be corrected by evangelical churches and thinkers in certain aspects, as when John Wesley inspired Anglicans to correct some of their errors. I'm seeing you're laughing right now, John Logan. Uh, in order to revive itself, 75, the church ought to adopt a more evangelical mindset and elevate the role of personal conversion, evangelism, discipleship, and confession. 76, the church will likely die out if it continues to drift away from the historic faith. 77, the church has a commitment to diversity, yet is not itself diverse due to its lack of evangelism and its de-emphasis of biblical theology. Um, I, you know, they brought up, they, they used, they brought up John Wesley as a good example in one of these. So I know uh, we're from the get-go, James, you're not going to be a, a fond of that thesis. Um yeah. That's related. That's seventy four. That was seventy four. John Wesley, and it's related to seventy five a little bit. I think that you know that we should be open to what the evangelicals are doing. I generally believe in that, but um, sure, sure. They say elevate the role of personal conversion. Yes, I mean some of the most touching and moving stories of Christians. I think like C.S. Lewis's his intellectual conversion. Um, John Wesley's heartfelt conversion when he was listening to he was listening to Luther's preface on the book of Romans and that's when Wesley um it, it to in his words you know his heart was strangely warmed and he and he and he, he felt it you know right um as much as we may not be Armenians or like Wesley's theology I think that's you know um, right so Wesley you know, wasn't I, I'm all about personal conversion I just think but I also I'm not fond of the the concept of personal conversion I've seen at some of these parachurch Christian camps that you, well, you've been to as a camper in your sure. past, and I've been to as a counselor. I was like disgusted. I'm like, it's like, you know, light switch conversion, choose Jesus now or don't. It's all up to you. You're right. you, that, that decision, decisionist theology, you know, not a big fan of it. I mean, I, I don't doubt the sincerity of people you know, fellow Christians who that was their story or, you know, they can pinpoint the, you know, the, the minute that happened, but, um, you know, it's not, um, I don't, I don't, that's not every Christian's language. But well, what, uh, what that, what that amounts to though, is sure it's a theological concern, but for me, it's also a grave pastoral concern because I worry about that person who thinks that their relationship with God is utterly contingent upon their permanent every second, every millisecond uh, decision for Jesus, 
you know, they, you know, they have a family member who dies and they think that Jesus has abandoned them because they were completely committed, but, you know, it seems like Jesus wasn't. Well, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if, if it is a, what one of my professors in seminary referred to as, you know, salvation is a kind of hybrid energy. He, he showed us his water bottle and said, you know, God fills it up halfway, you fill it up the other half, and that's how the universe works. Like, if that's the way it is, then then we're still dead in our sins, and we're the most to be pitied. Um, so I, I, find, I find problems with John Wesley because John Wesley became a moralist. That's how he arose. That's how he arrived at you know a plain account of Christian perfection. Mm -hmm. he, he believed in a kind of Protestant theosis where sanctification theosis takes place on this side of the resurrection, and there is a kind of perfection that arrives on this side of the resurrection. That's, that's Pelagianism, mm -hmm. um, and and so so Wesley gave us great hymns. There is some stuff from Wesley that's perfectly good. But Wesley's a big problem in, in many ways. Um, and I think that um, not being an Arminian, I, I have a big problem with the way that Wesley uh, you know, arrives at these religious um, experiences because you have to, in effect, um, feel it. It's got to be emotional. And some of that comes from the Reformed, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that is that is that is not just an Arminian problem. That's also a, re a reformed problem. Right. Um, that everything is a matter of the heart. But even Calvin would be perfectly willing to say that the you know the heart, man's nature, is a perpetual factory of idols. Um, so right. all that is to say, you can't, you can't trust your heart, right? I mean, if it, it's um, that that's the um, the beauty of the reformational theology of, of extranos, looking outside of yourself, because. Right. You know, like uh, yeah, especially Armenianism, kind of Christianity, uh, especially Protestant Christianity in America since the Great Awakening. And I know we brought up this point on the on the show before, but it's like you're always questioning the sincerity of your faith because you you're wondering if you're feeling it the right way. Right. Well, like if you're, you can't trust your feelings, though. I mean, and I right. think, you know, you can't. I mean, I, I say in in a in a sense, you can trust your feelings because you do need to pay attention to you know, um, you know, the, in the, in one sense, you do need to pay attention to them, but as far as yeah. like, when it comes to what your relationship with God and your spirituality is contingent upon, that's not based on, you know, how strongly you may feel in a given moment. We do right. have, are blessed to have strong feel. We, we are blessed to have, you know, those high points in our spiritual life, but it's, um, it, it comes from outside herself. It's not something, you know, our, our heart needs to conjure up, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's, there is a pastoral concern there. I, you know, for, you know, and, and you and I, you know, we I would be, we, we both, I'm sure have, you know, had situations where we had to kind of pastor someone through that, you know, someone feeling like they weren't, um, that they weren't, you know, christian or they weren't spiritual anymore because they just couldn't you know they didn't have that ecstatic um drive and love of it like they felt they once had and that's, that's sad when when it gets to that point but it's you know but it's there's the reassurance of the gospel the word that comes from outside of themselves the word that does not cease to be even when 
they feel like their their spirits yeah. have ceased to be so 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 this one number 74 is not standalone i think it needs to be paired as you said with 75 um i don't like the use of the word revive because i think that both uh great awakenings and the revivalist movement within america were were deeply problematic for for more than one reason um, but certainly the kind of resurrection of the bad stuff from the Reformation, enthusiasm, the schwarmere, um, that's what came back with uh, with the revival. Mm -hmm. But setting that aside, because I want to be charitable, even though I haven't been so far, I apologize, Episcopal Fellowship for Renewal, I, 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 I'm going to be charitable here. The church ought to adopt a more evangelical mindset and elevate the role of personal conversion, evangelism, discipleship, and confession. Um, confession in that regard can mean both the confession of faith and the confession of sin. Personal conversion, I got nothing wrong with that because God does convict us personally as well as corporately. Evangelism is, an, is, is, is essential for the life of the church. That is the, the great commission. And discipleship is something that the church should always be doing, forming people in the faith, helping them to understand who they are in Christ and from what comes from that as a life of gratitude. So like, if if that's what they mean by John Wesley, I buy it whole hog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we probably focus too much on the John Wesley, but I think they were trying to look for a good example of like, you know, because in one sense, John Wesley did, there there were a lot of um, things, there were, there were a lot of um, unfortunate aspects of the church of england at the time by the time at the time wesley comes around and there wasn't really a lot of feeling of personal conviction and, <laughs> and, and you know for and um you know it was a very you know i've heard it it's characterized as the it was a high and dry you know nas very nationalist church that you know needed the injection of you know spiritual renewal um <laughs> so yeah but you could still get that same effect Mm -hmm. by saying john stott or j.i packer right yeah two people who would but they, but they didn't live in the 1700s they, they they came along late which is great they had their own version of it and i a version i prefer but i'm just saying <laughs> wesley well, this was is not, at this the right not, time in that room this is not temporally located though right i mean so number 74 doesn't say 1700s it's just saying john uh, wesley yeah. is an example of inspiring anglicans yeah, yeah, they they could have. Um, yeah, I don't see Packer stop reference here at all. No, and that's okay. I mean, look I, again. I'm not looking for this to be perfect, so we should probably yeah, no. before we quibble. But, um, number seventy eight. Despite its progressive ideals and desire to quote dismantle and heal white supremacy unquote, the church remains one of the least diverse religious groups in the United States. Yep. 79 progressive Anglicans claim to want to elevate non-white voices, yet ignore the cries for repentance and calls to obedience to God's law from overwhelmingly non-white Anglicans from the global south. Um, 80, the church claims to uphold the tradition, beliefs, and practices of Anglicanism, yet tolerates countless theological errors that the foundational Anglican texts such as the 39 Articles of Religion and the Book of Homilies explicitly declare to be heretical. Um, 81 is very related. That, well, that's not really. The church bears the name of the church, yet tolerates theological errors that the church fathers explicitly declare to be uh, heretical. 
And I'll read 82 and we'll, and we'll reflect. Uh, the church speaks constantly of inclusivity. It largely, fail, largely fails to create an environment inclusive of those who hold orthodox biblical views. So my only issue here is that um, there are lots, I, there are lots of examples of theological errors that foundational Anglican te texts such as certain articles condemn or consider right. heretical, but they could have used a lot of these theses naming what those are. Right. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, okay, okay. You're appealing to the 39 articles as a foundational text. You're saying, look, there's things going on in this church. There's practices, teachings, things being said from the pulpit um, that are flying in the face of the 39 articles. Okay. Right. I agree with that actually, but name them and spend some of these theses instead of just vague notions of heresy, bad, which we get the point heresy's bad. I mean, <laughs> like name what these are, um, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, are these, you know, are, is this group, um, uh, are, is, is the reformation like they're kind of their guidepost here or, or is it not? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell cause it's, you know, um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on it. And that's, I oh got, I feel like I'm being, you know, very critical of them, I guess. And, um, but it's just, I feel like for the number, I mean, they did 95 and of course they did it because it, you know, um, it's a homage to, you know, if you're going to do theses, make a 95, be like Luther, but sure. That's a lot of statements. So like use some of them to, to get specific about, okay, you're saying heresy. What are the heresies? You know, is it right? I think they do in some instances, but, um, but there's, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I, um, I agree with your criticism. The rest of it, I think it's just, it's gold. I mean, you know, I, I've said so many of these things before. Um, that, the racial stuff. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating. like, I will never forget being in seminary with somebody who, when, um, when the global South was being very overt, uh, as they often are, Lord bless them about their beliefs regarding marriage. Um, one of the people in my seminary class said, oh, well, they'll come around eventually. Mm. Like, like they just haven't evolved to that level of higher consciousness that us North. Yeah, which is, and, and this guy's, <laughs> this guy was one of the ones who like bought whole hog post-colonial theology. So like he is literally being an, a, a theological colonizer while saying that he believes in post-colonial theology that, that, you know, that you shouldn't try and colonize uh, a different people with your theology or with your culture. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's deeply problematic because like, yeah, the overwhelming majority of non-white Anglicans from the global South are calling for the Episcopal church to repent about marriage, about a number of different things. Abortion's another big one <clears throat> that we've already talked about in previous episodes, but, but like, so, so why is it okay for, uh, for for white people to sequester the actual majority of the voices in the Anglican communion because you disagree with them. Like, oh, because the Episcopal Church has money. But that's a different problem. So let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, the uh, 73, no, I got it. No, I think we're on, uh, I think we're on 81 now. Oh, good. <laughs> Uh, the church bears the okay. No, we're on eighty. We're on eighty three. Oh, church, sorry. 
The church usually calls for justice only in ways that are acceptable to the political left and theological liberals. 84, the church's rhetoric on social issues and current events is frequently indistinguishable from that of progressive political commentators. 85, the church is quick to criticize evangelicals for conflating faith and politics, yet dedicates a far greater share of its rhetoric to political issues than do evangelicals. 86, uh, in offering solely a progressive political message, the church offers people nothing they cannot get from secular culture, which is one reason why it gains so few new members. Mm -hmm. 87, we'll leave off with this one. The progressive factions of the church is seldom self-critical, except to repent of not being progressive enough. Um, there is an article I'm going to put in the show notes. It's been a while since I've read it. It was from Pathios, Pathios, Pathios. Um, there was, it was from, you know, and they have different faith channels. You know, you can right. go read what Buddhists are saying about climate change. You can go see what evangelicals are saying about Lent, all this, you know. Uh, really great site, you know, it's pretty, most people are familiar with it by now because there's so much good um, content on there. But there was an article I read, read on there years ago called, excuse me, the Those Hyper-Politicized Evangelicals. And it was written, I can't remember if an evangelical wrote it, which again is a problematic um, category. I mean, right. <laughs> the, the, how they, what they consider an evangelical. Um, right. I don't know if an evangelical wrote it or or a mainline person wrote it, but they made a very good point, and it's and it and it's it's very much aligns with my observation too. That I I have heard much more partisan rhetoric, like you know, rhetoric that matched one of the two major political parties. I've heard it a lot more in in preaching and proclamations within the mainline church. Oh yeah, including the Episcopal Church more than evangelicals most evangelical i mean it's um i mean i get it there are lots of evangelicals who are out there there's a lot there's lots of conservative christians out there there's lots of there's lots of uh even you know kind of that um stereotype of the trump voting trump loving evangelical though you know there are people who fit that that you know um image they are out right. there but most of the time the a lot of those people don't really go to church first off. And a lot of the time you go to like a lot of these more theologically conservative churches, like non-denom Baptist, whatever evangelical churches in America, you're not hearing very partisan stuff. You're just not, okay. you're, you know, um, a lot of them don't even bring up like the sexuality and abortion stuff as much as they did 20, 25 years ago overall. Um, right. So it's just, it amazes me. And I do feel like a lot of mainline, a lot of people in the mainline church who 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 think that about evangelical Christianity, it's like, it may, it's like, get, get out there, go, you know, I mean, I'm a priest now, so I'm stuck in one setting every, I don't, know, I don't mean it like that. I'm, you know, I serve, I, I can't go out and visit others, but right. I, mean, I, I had the, as an Episcopal, I've been Episcopalian for a long time now, and I've, I visited many churches out there, gone to work, you know worked alongside parachurch groups for things, gone to worship services at all kinds of different churches. And I have not, you know, I just, you don't hear, you know, Republican party platform stuff no. in these evangelical churches, not nearly to the degree that you hear like 
you know, stuff that's very aligned with the Democratic Party and in a lot of mainline churches and not all mainline churches either. But, you know, right. Um, well, and, you know, you have to filter a lot of this stuff, too, because um, a significant portion of the 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 griping and carping about partisan politics and evangelical pulpits comes from exvangelicals, people who have left the evangelical right. movement and probably left it a while ago and are so so are operating on dated knowledge. Yeah. Um, the 80s and, and 90s were not a good time. I mean, I I mean, I was I went to. Uh, an evangelical youth group with a buddy I tagged along during the 90s. I mean, I saw a lot of the videos they show them. I mean, yeah, it was not, it was, you know, I definitely get where ex-evangelicals come from, but yeah, it's just, it is dated. I mean, I think the, the church, the churches have grown since then, you know. Or, right, and, have, and, and they have moved back. I mean, this is a great example of like how, you know, the evangelical church has, has been self-critical um, over the last few decades. Mm -hmm. um, a great example is Mark Knoll's book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, mm -hmm. uh, where he was calling out the fact that evangelicals were deeply skeptical of anything academic when it comes to theology, when it comes to Bible and what have you. And there, there's been a kind of course correction there within much oh, of evangelicalism. Hugely. Yeah. Hugely. I mean, like, most of the best biblical scholars today are from the evangelical world. I mean, I'm if this was the 1950s, I would have told you no, that they come from the mainline world. But now right. <laughs> the Bible's it's um yeah, it's they have really corrected that. Right. So so ultimately I think these criticisms are are profoundly important. I mean mm -hmm. the the problem is, you know, the, the Episcopal Church of 50 years ago would have been considered the Republican Party of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, there may not have been nearly as much partisan politics from the pulpit, but everybody knew that, uh, you know, um, even 40 years ago, most of the clergy were voting for, for Reagan or, you know, uh, maybe that's not a great example. I guess by that point there was already a shift anyways, but, but before that, you know, uh, yeah. the, the clergy were, were more conservative. The laity were always conservative. Um, but the shift has happened, um, and with a lot of people leaving to create what we now know as the ACNA, um, that you know that that shifted the scales. It shifted, so, yeah. Like for yeah. instance, you know the the abortion issue that there is an Anglicans for Life, but it's it's the ACNA that right. used to be in the if I understand that used to be in the Episcopal Church, but mm -hmm. when the you know so if people found there you know and that's unfortunate because you see. Um, just like the divisions we see in the culture wars, I mean, it's so terrible that we see it in the church too. And, you know, right. um, people dividing. And of course, that's something I give this group, this group that are putting out these theses, I give them credit at least that they're not schismatic. They want to, they, right. as they see it, they want to take back the church to its true purpose. And I think on a lot of notes, they're, they, they're, 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 their heart's in the right place. And I, you know, um you know i see where they're coming from so as i think you know i think we've shared you and i have gone over the the pros the good goods and bads of what you know all, everything we've everything we've gleaning gleaning from these theses so yeah let's go ahead and move on um 88 88 church keeps pushing for more and more alterations to christian doctrine despite the risk that they will further divide the body of christ and cause more schism 
convicting people of sin and showing them their need for a savior, as opposed to making pe people feel affirmed, should be our focus. Convicting people of sin when done in spirit of love and charity is healthy and will help us grow in our faith uh, to God. 90 bishops, priests, deacons, and other ministers who claim the title of Christian while rejecting the essentials of the faith risk facing God's judgment. 91 bishops, priests, deacons, and other ministers who lead their congregations astray risk facing God's judgment. Um, 92 seminary professors who make it their goal to replace the godly values of seminarians with heretical beliefs and political ideology risk facing God's judgment. Um, we'll do the last Serena. Let's 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 kind of talk about these ones. Um, the um, again, 89, you know, convicting people of sin, showing them their need of a savior, you know, con convicting people of sin when done in the spirit of love is healthy and will help us grow in our faith. Yes, but you have to get you, you don't stop with the law. You don't leave them. Right. The law. You bring the the law is to, like we talked about in our last episode. One of the main functions of God's law is that it terrorizes us when it makes us realize how how much we have failed God and then that that moves us um to the place where we can receive a savior and so um you know got to have the good news and right. they talk about a little bit there they they say you know showing them their need for a savior yeah they do say that um any of these other ones uh the things about you know I mean rejecting essentials of the faith you know, priests, bishops, and deacons who do that risk God's judgment. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think uh, I think what they're trying to do here is they're trying to finish strong. This is sort of their final volley. Um, and so all of them are, uh, you know, speaking about uh, people who face risking or risk facing God's judgment. Um, and I mean, I think it's important that we remember that teachers are held to a higher standard, which is what we read. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. That one to come. Um, we hear about that in the letter of James. Um, we we you know we know that uh, teachers are supposed to be teaching people the truth, um, and so I think that that's important, and I think it is important to to hit teachers with the law when they are teaching lies. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with the fact that it seems like all of these end with law and there's no real gospel. Um, if it were an actual disputation that was being proposed, um, or if there were an apology for this, then I think leaving it as is would be fine. But I think that what we're doing here is we're sort of just a final condemnation of everything here in the last 10. And uh, you got to be, I think you got to be careful about that because it's going to make anybody who's reading it shut off. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, this was laughed off by, um, I think you told me a story. There was some clergy within your diocese who came across this and they just like didn't even look at it. They laughed at it. Right. But, you know, people are, you know, people who are opposed enough to you are going to laugh and they're not going to give you the time of day or the chance anyways. So I should, you know, we need to recognize that, but still, right. I don't know. I know how to, I know how I, I not, not, maybe I shouldn't go down that road. I sound like I'm bragging, but like, I know how to talk to people. 
right. a different persuade enough to the point of not, you know, of this, you know, finding a little bit of common ground, at least, you know, where they can understand where I come from and I don't come from an ill place. I can't right. do that with everyone. Again, some people are just going to shut you down no matter what you do, no matter how, you know, diplomatic or soft or spoken you are or loving you present it, loving how loving you present it. But, you know, I mean, um, I don't know. Well, and, and, I mean, a weird tangent I went off on, but it's, what, it does kind of pertain to this. But what, what you're saying is, I think, really important because part of this is intended to bring about communication, but ultimatum, an ultimatum is always going to end communication. Yeah. And ultimata do not uh, ever achieve really what they want yeah. um, because it either just guilts the person into doing uh, what what uh, the, the person giving the ultimatum expects or it causes them to be indignant, which is what we talked about last time with regard to the law. Yeah. That um, if you hit people only with the law and not with the promise of salvation, with the gospel, then what you're going to find is that people are not going to do what you want. <laughs> I agree. I do think there's a long tradition of ultimata in, in Christian discourse. I mean, even Luther did it a lot. And a lot of these sure. strong, you know, people, it comes from conviction. And I do give that right. respect. You know, if you have carrying strong conviction and, and, and you know, truth matters above all else, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, so I can, I get where you can, it's very tempting and probably in some cases the right thing to do, present something as an ultimatum, but, um, but overall, I mean, this is just hammering it, hammering it, no pun, because they didn't, this right. is posted online, not on a door, uh, but it says point after point after point of right. just this or else, you know. And like you said, um, they're not always precise. So it's like, oh, okay, like we that, you know, that needs to, you know, I don't have to buy that because there's some issues with, you know, so, uh, you know, so. All right, let's read, read the last three. Seminaries must not make, a, excuse me, affiliations with any group that affirms heretical beliefs or practices lest they risk facing God's judgment. 94. Bishops, priests, deacons, and other ministers who not only tolerate but affirm and encourage what they know to be sin according to Scripture for the sake of not offending people risk facing God's judgment. Ninety-five bishops, priests, deacons, and other ministers who lie to the public and claim to represent Christ while de denying his humanity, divinity, commandments, and teachings are using the Lord's name in vain and risk facing God's judgment. Yeah. I'm just kind of exhausted at this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the arguments that they're making here, uh, I think they're saying what, what many people don't want to say, which is if a seminary is where clergy are trained and that yeah. seminary does everything that it can to lead its students astray from the gospel of Jesus Christ, by teaching them things like Christ wasn't divine or things like that, which there are Episcopal seminaries where you will hear that kind of garbage from professors. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that, that risks God's judgment because those people are, they are um, destroying um, in, in, in their own little way, uh, the church of Christ or attempting to destroy it. Well, um, the seminaries, and I see this in academia overall 
and I think seminaries, it's it's like the religious version of it, is that academia can easily turn into like someone's playground. Right. Of trying out all these ideas like trying on shoes. Yeah. And one thing, intellect, I'm all about free intellectual inquiry. Um, and um, that's, and that's neat. And you know, of course, in many ways, that may not be happening in a lot of our institutions where it used to be. But but also it's like, you know, it's like also you can have, you know, just if you say what's if you say a lie enough, people start to believe it. There's this like absurd things that um, are repeated and taken in all the time in like seminary and in, in a lot of higher education in discourse. And it doesn't always reflect with seminaries it doesn't always reflect the reality of what's going on in the parish and in you know, other non in secular institutions it doesn't represent what's going on in the real world so um you know there is that disconnect i guess that that you know so. what, what what you're saying is is uh rather apropos i mean you know what you what you just said uh if you tell people a lie long enough they'll begin to not be able to distinguish it from the truth you know you said that right well i think it wasn't it goebbels or him it was goebbels yeah <laughs> it was propaganda minister so like that, that's, but that's the problem is that what we're dealing with in some of these areas of our, of our um, Christian community uh, is, is propaganda um, of different stripes. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and a lot of it involves on that end, um, guilting, like, how could you possibly not agree with me about this thing? Because I've had this experience. And so when you marry propaganda with things like critical theory which you uh you know critical theory argues that your um your basic identity is as uh, an oppressed person um your experience of existence is your experience of oppression mm -hmm. and so if you if you marry those two things then literally nothing i say as an oppressed person although i can't be because i'm a white male who's conservative but uh, anything I were to say, if I weren't a white male who's conservative, um, you know, I could be right about it because it's my experience and my experience is sovereign because I'm an oppressed person. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, you know, I think that's that's really deeply troubling about seminaries, but also about clergy. Um, you know, I think the one problem I have with number four, though, 94, is that uh, the theses are arguing this thesis is arguing that people know something to be sinned from scripture but i would actually say that many clergy have been deceived by professors and by other people and by their own feelings that uh, certain things are not sinful even though scripture says that they are um so so scripture says it but they don't know it because, in effect, they conceal the truth. Romans one, they they hide the truth, um, whether it be cognizant or or subconscious that they're doing that. Um, and then the final one, it just seems like a nice pot shot at like Jack Spong, uh, which is always fair, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, denying Jesus' humanity or denying his divinity, you know. Right. There's um. In in you know Jesus is a fascinating. Maybe it's a good way we could close a close good note to close on for the episode is uh, is Jesus, right? Oh, you got to bring it mm -hmm. back. 
But Jesus is, of course, um, has always been a fascinating figure for the world. I think even, you know, pop culture has always, I mean, as much as the church and Christianity have really been take have been put on you know taking the back seat um in our in, in in our day and age in our you know you know northern hemisphere you know uh modern world uh jesus still of course remains to be a fascinating uh figure and religious figure and teacher for a lot of people like people you never hear people you never hear like what did ian paul say when he came on the show you never hear people say jesus was boring i think he said but but you know you also hear right. people say jesus was bad or a jerk i mean even like you know some of the people that are most hostile to christianity will try to appeal to jesus like like oh look, you know he's not like y'all christians and and if we're a good if we're good christians we'll say yeah he wasn't like us that's and that's why i need him but right um, right but you know there's so much you know the, his humanity his divinity these are such um in the understanding of his humanity, understanding of the divinity, um, is so important um, that you you really do lose something. You know, I'm I know like I hear Scorsese is doing another Jesus movie. I think you know Scorsese mm -hmm. is a great film director. I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet, um, but he's you know he's done so much great stuff. He did do a Jesus movie before, and it was guilty of like you know dropping the divinity part or something so um didn't he know. direct uh, the last temptation of christ yeah that's what i'm referring to but now yeah. like he, he's looking at doing something maybe more maybe less controversial but still something that can really resonate connect his as he sees it with lots of people and it wants to do a movie about jesus so um well he already kind of did that with silence <laughs> i feel like that was really good um, yeah that was about but... a but I mean, this is actually like a biopic of Jesus or like a, a right, Jesus right. movie. Um, right. So, you know, I think, um, but how, how is my relating to, the, to Thesis 95? Well, I guess, you know, bishops, priests, and deacons, um, you know, our job is to proclaim Jesus. I mean, it's the number one thing about our role and everything else we do is through that, that prism and lenses. So the, the Jesus who is God and the Jesus who is man, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the one Jesus is so important. It's so important for us not to lose sight of, of, of Jesus. Um, right. In all he's of, revealed to all us of what and who he is. And I think, um, you know, that some of the embarrassing moments, yeah. And in, uh, in, in some certain Christian leaders and some who've been in our church uh, have been that they've totally missed the point when it comes to who Jesus is. Right. So, you know, it's, it matters. Um, a lot yeah yeah i mean always always a good place to end with with jesus with um recognizing who he is how he's been revealed to us in scripture and most importantly what he came to do which is defeat the power of sin uh to raise us to new life by grace through faith and in baptism and uh you know if that's where we can leave this then you know that's the that's the ditch i'm willing to die in. that's the hill i'm willing to die on you know um when it comes to that, I think that um, there is no ground that we can give there. Um, mm -hmm. It's an all or nothing thing. Um, and ultimately, that's the only Jesus who's worth worshiping. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the Jesus who is a social revolutionary is not worth worshiping. Um, 
but the Jesus who is God in the flesh, who while we were yet sinners and sucked something awful, he came and died for us out of love. Like right. that's that's who we preach. Right. Amen. Well, man, uh, we will see you uh, again in a few weeks. We'll be back on the show to talk about uh, we'll, we'll be criticizing something else. We'll be criticizing a book and yeah. um, it'll be fun. So <laughs> take care, James. All right, man. Yeah. Peace.